3: Races where you, you realize you do not have to do anything, and in not having to do anything, you exercise the voice that tells you you have to do it, and therefore you're able to change.
1: I like to catch you laughing when I hit when I hit record. Just the want, end part, though. I want the first thing our listeners hear is to hear your amazing Scottish laugh. <laughs> Thank you. You could, like my dad, you could find
2: him anywhere in a mall if you if you got separated from the family. Just just listen for his laugh. Same here. Maybe
1: that's why we're friends. We're both Scottish. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh, I don't have gosh. a sweet beard like you, though. Oh yeah, this is my winter thing. I've never done it before. It is winter, which is a great segue into (laughs) welcome back, everybody. Whoa, 2017. To the Deconstructionist Podcast. We are out of 2016. (laughs) John and I have not died. (laughs) Nope. We are here, and we are bringing you some freaking fresh-squeezed juice. Ooh. Who is it? Who do we got? (laughs) Doctor... You guys will understand why that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> he gave us some serious like
2: shit for that. You know what and I in in my mind I went back and forth when I wrote up that list because I was like, well, he doesn't really go by doctor though. So no, like, never. you know, like like you know, like a couple other guys we had on the list, you know, don't really go by doctor either, so I left
1: it out. He was pretty offended. I know. All right, so we have Dr. <laughs> Dr. Peter Rollins. Yes. Peter freaking Rollins rejoins mm. the Deconstructionist podcast yet again. And this was a surprise to John and I, too. Yeah. Um, apparently, absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> Truly. And uh, we all just needed to be together. And holy <laughs> goodness. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. We need to just get this intro over with because... You guys just need to hear this. <laughs> you just need to hear every freaking second of this uh, conversation. Man, we hit it all. From New Year's resolutions to... Uh, the link between Richard Rohr and Peter Rollins <laughs> to making love. Yeah. To atheism for giving up God for Lent. I mean, holy crap. If we oh it's just good. We are and we are blessed. By I'm not the hand gonna give his Lord.
2: bio. At this point, this is the third time he's been on the show. So <laughs> if you guys don't know, um, well, especially if you haven't heard Pete Rollins before, go back to our previous two episodes. We have, I think it was like episode eight. I should know this. I just wrote this list. I think it's like episode eight that we first had him on. And then we had a special, I think it was August 16th, 2016. We had a special edition uh, version, episode, whatever, of his uh, Pints and Parables, an abridged version of his Pints and Parables that he does. Um, So if you guys don't already know who he is, go back and listen to those two, then listen to this one. Your
1: your brilliant mm. memory, John, is what I find most attractive about you. Usually, that's the funny thing. Usually, you remember everything, and I remember nothing. <laughs> you nailed that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you just went like a uh, beautiful mind on us, right there. <laughs> oh, enjoy this, everybody. We know we did. This is our New Year's kickoff. Mm. Enjoy some fresh squeezed Peter freaking Freakin Rollins. Rollins. All right, well, uh, Peter freaking Rollins, or should I say Dr. Peter Rollins? Should I say Dr. Peter Rollins?
3: Well, listen, you know, I noticed on your your website, we were talking about this, that everybody gets their official (laughs) doctor title. Like, I literally went down and there were like 20 people, doctor, 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 and then it came to me. And it was just Peter Rollins. And I'm like, do you not think my doctor is legitimate? Do you not respect it? Did I spend seven years in university for no reason whatsoever? So yes, it's for, for from now on, it's Dr. Rollins. We were just trying when to it
1: keep it to keep it real with post-structuralism, man. Yeah, it's,
2: it's a That's yeah. just a structure. It's a PhD in philosophy, so does it really even exist? Come That's on. the question,
3: right? Uh, well, you know what? Here's the sad <laughs> thing is people think that— that people like me are not the real doctors, right? A medical doctor's a real doctor, but it's the other way around. Medical doctors aren't real doctors. That's an (laughs) honorary title. But PhDs in in humanities, that's a real doctor. Absolutely. So if someone on a plane says, we need a doctor, I can legitimately put my hand up. (laughs) Whereas a medical doctor should keep their hand down.
1: (laughs) Does anyone know how to do a pen trach to the throat? (laughs) Yeah. Dr. Peter Rollins is in seat twenty-two B. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: If any, if anyone has a problem with their ontology, I can help. <laughs> On a plane, it's an emergency. I'm there to help. They're having oh.
1: an existential crisis.
2: Oh,
3: we are, <laughs>
1: we are loving this, man. It is so good to have you back. What a great way to kick off the year. How, how have you been? How, how did your, how did your holiday seasons end up and everything like that?
3: Oh, it's been great. I've had a really lovely uh, month. I went home for all of December and just relaxed by open fires um i mm. love the weather in ireland it was like these misty mornings um i was staying in this beautiful place called Burn for a little bit and um, it's just so picturesque it's everything you imagine about ireland when you close your eyes and you think about that country and you imagine trees and grass and mountains that's exactly it in fact cs lewis loved that place he went on his honeymoon to the Crawfordsburn Inn, where I was uh, spending some time. And the forest in Crawfordsburn is uh, one of the inspirations for the landscape of Narnia. Mm. So when you're walking through it, it feels like you're walking through Narnia. I love everything about that. As a bit of a C.S. Lewis fanboy. Yeah. Just to- Oh, yeah. Well, not many people know that he was uh, born and bred in Belfast, but uh, recently they've made this park. And um, this square in his honor uh, in Belfast, and it's got this incredible statue of Aslan, mm. and um, the, the also this, this the White Queen, and 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 all these other characters from the Chronicles. So it's very very cool.
1: I love it, man. I hope Hollywood eventually gets it right with oh. some of his stuff. Gosh, it's been yeah. pretty disappointing. Pretty brutal.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Sorry.
1: I hope Hollywood eventually get get it. gets it gets it right with some of his stuff.
3: Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know. No, I, I'm actually tempted to do a little retreat about CS Lewis in Ireland, a critical engagement with his thinking, um, in that, in the Crawfordsburn area in that, in that inn. So I'm, I'm kind of always been toying with it. If I can find 20 or 30 people who want to do that, oh, we'll spend four days yeah. there. Hand- yeah. Okay. There's two already. Perfect.
1: <laughs> hands, up. Yep. Ha- hands up. Yeah. Hands up. Oh man. Absolutely. Well, I thought it was pretty cool to have you back. Uh, you know, it's, this is kind of our first episode of the year. And even though it's going to be like February, I was thinking about you and I was thinking of like this whole craze around New Year's and how everybody hits the gym and everybody's looking to like grab the newest self improvement model. And, you know, how am I going to reinvent myself this year? And I was just thinking about how strange it is that just because the calendar flips over, we all have this like existential like panic. And I was like, I wonder what Pete thinks about some of this stuff. Like, what what is your take on the whole like New Year's and New Year's resolutions and this kind of self improvement? I'm sure radical theology and uh, and the philosophy of Doctor Peter Rollins has got something
3: one or two things to say about that. Oh, uh, let's see. Well, I mean, of course, I think it's 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 wonderful that people want to uh, improve their life. And use this arbitrary number, which we all do. I mean, you don't have to brush your teeth in the morning and at night. That's that's there's there's no magical reason to do that, right? You just have to do it twice. Not even, but twice is useful. So you could do it at three o'clock in the afternoon and four in the morning. Um, but we have this arbitrary thing: you, you brush your teeth in the morning, you brush your teeth at night, and I'm not against that. You know, um, we we as human beings have rituals. Uh, so the ritual of 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 using the new year to think about oh how can I transform my life is is quite beautiful, but uh, one one of the concerns I have is just how ineffectual it generally is you know whenever we try to say oh I'm eating too much and I I'm not fit enough and we try to force ourselves to have a better diet and to do a bit of the gym and within two weeks it's gone yeah uh, it's not it's not this similar to what happens when some people use certain therapeutic processes where you try to, through positive thinking and force, stop yourself (laughs) from smoking or something like that, you can have very good short-term results, but generally the, the, the result doesn't last for very long. So one of the interesting things for me is like, you know, how can we instigate the kind of changes we want? Um, so, you know, take the example of someone saying, right, it's a new year, um, I'm eating too much, I'm not exercising enough, right? So what I would say is, okay, first thing is don't do anything, right? If I wrote a diet book, the first chapter would be don't do a diet, right? <laughs> so the first rule of dieting is do not diet, right? The first thing to do is to maybe sit down and ask yourself what eating that food symbolizes for you, you know, like if if you find yourself eating a lot or eating unhealthy food, um, is that a way for you to cover over anxiety or depression or loneliness or something like that and begin to ask if there's some meaning to that activity. So you don't try to fix it. You don't try to do anything with it. You just try to listen to it, right? Now, what might happen? Let's take a fictional example. Somebody feels they are eating unhealthily and they're not exercising. And by thinking about it, they realize that actually that's something they were taught when they were kids. When they were really young, their mother or their father or their, their school, they had this idea that they had to look a certain way and they had to be thin or whatever. And then they realize, oh, that voice isn't my voice. I've internalized an external voice. Right, so that's step one. Wow. They realize, oh, that's not me that wants to go on a diet and get fit. That's this this internal voice of some other. But then the second step is they realize that actually they are protesting against that voice unconsciously. So the fact that they're eating a lot of unhealthy stuff and not looking after their bodies is actually a protest against that voice, Hmm. right? They're actually protesting legitimately against something that's bad, which is this voice that's that's trying to force them to do something good. Hmm. So then what you do in the third stage is you try to exorcise that voice, get rid of it. Now, we, that, that's the theological, bit, we might come back to in a minute. Mm. We try to get rid of that voice. Now, here's the really interesting bit. If you're able to get rid of that internal voice that's telling you to exercise more and be healthier and not eat bad stuff, you also get rid of the protest that fights against that voice that stops you from eating healthily and stops you from exercising. So actually you find that you're much more able to eat better and to exercise. Wow. So you get rid of the the very voices telling you to exercise and to eat well and actually that helps you exercise and eat well. So that and that's what's called grace. By the way, grace is where you you realize you do not have to do anything and in not having to do anything, you exercise the voice that tells you you have to do it and therefore you're able to change. Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs>
2: Happy New Year.
3: (laughs) Happy New Year. There you go. There you go. So that's kind of like the mechanism of grace in a a sense. That's a way to understand why grace is effectual and why actually the demand to change is ineffectual. That is, that's amazing.
2: Oh my gosh.
3: It reminds me a
1: little bit of what you, I've heard you talk before about, um, you know, listening to your symptoms and you say something about uh, how symptom sounds like a French word
3: for holy man. Oh, yes. That's right. Symptom in French, there's a there's an old way of writing it, which is Symptom Saint-Homme, and Saint-Homme is holy man. So the symptom and the Saint-Homme, it sounds the same. And the idea is if you listen to your symptoms, they are holy men, they are prophets that actually speak to you. And if you listen to what your symptom is telling you, you're able to hopefully be transformed. So yeah, that's connected with what I'm talking about here.
1: Yeah, sounds really similar. I, I'm just yeah. I'm curious if you could elaborate just a little bit on what is it about grace that you know incites the exorcism? Uh, like, what is it about the me- mm-hmm. the mechanism of grace that uh, I find so exhilarating? And I always want to know more about it. It seems to be the only thing that can f- truly free anyone. But it seems like people usually um almost punk out on on grace you know it's it's grace up into a point you know people draw boundary lines around grace and uh it's never quite as it, it's really terrifying i guess is what i'm saying if you actually let it be grace so how yeah. how does that mechanism become the exorcism
3: yeah so well in order to understand that i'd love to kind of actually um, draw some parallels between psychoanalysis and theology, if I can do that. Yeah, do so it. So one of the fundamental notions in psychoanalysis, as many people know, is the Oedipus complex, right? So everyone knows, you know, Freud was really interested in this. The The, the story is this guy wants to sleep with his mother. Uh, he doesn't know it's his mother, but he wants to sleep with his mother. Um, his father is the barrier to that, he kills his father and then sleeps with his mother. And he thinks this will be a blessing, but it's a curse. Right? So that's the story. So someone will go like, why? why is that so central to a psychoanalytic theory? Well, technically, it's a symbolic story. Um, the mother represents a return to some primordial wholeness, some oceanic oneness, because obviously the child, when they're separated from the mother, they feel this loss. So the return to the mother is a sim- is a symbol of a return to that which will make you whole. The father is a symbol for that which gets in the way, that stops you from getting what you want. And then when um, Oedipus breaks through the prohibition and gets the thing that he thinks will make him whole, he thinks he's going to be blessed, but it's a curse. And that's why I, you've heard me say that, that, you know, get what you want, because then you'll realize how terrible it is, yeah. right? This is the, the curse of getting what you want. Well, I I argue that actually the Jewish tradition starts with a type of eatable story. Hmm. You've got Adam and Eve, they're walking around the garden. Then there's this prohibition, you shall not eat of this fruit. And behind the prohibition is this fruit. Now, there's an additional part to the story that I haven't talked about much which is the serpent. The serpent says, if you eat that fruit, you will be like God. Now, what does that mean? Well, traditionally, God is one who lacks the lack. God is the one who is whole and complete. So when you say you will be like God, it's saying you will be whole and complete. So it's an eatable story. So they, Adam and Eve want this piece of fruit. They're told that if they eat the piece of fruit, then they will be blessed. Everything will be wonderful. They break through the prohibition, just like Oedipus. They get the piece of fruit. They think it will be a blessing, but it's a curse. Wow. Now, what's interesting to me is the serpent. In psychoanalysis, the voice that tells you that you have to do something and then you'll be whole and complete is called the superego. So in psychoanalysis, the superego is the voice that says, you do X, Y, and Z, and then you will be right. In theology, it's called the serpent or the Satan, right? Satan is the internal voice that's telling you, you can be like God, you can be whole and complete. Now in psychoanalysis, the goal is to get rid of, to weaken the force of the superego. This is called the cure. It's also called realization the big other doesn't exist. Yeah. In theology, this is called exorcism or crushing the serpent's head, right? Um, And it is getting rid of that. Now, in psychoanalysis, the technology for getting rid of that superego injunction, that voice, is the therapeutic method. In theology, the technology for exorcising the serpent is grace, now, this is why I say that a lot of churches are a form of Satanism. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy at first, but, but but any church where you hear the message, you have to do X, Y, and Z to be whole and complete. If only you read the Bible more, if only you pray more, if only you do this, this, and this, then you'll be whole, then you will, you will get rid of the lack. That is actually the serpentine voice in theology. That's the, that's called Satan in theology. In psychoanalysis, it's called the superego. In theology, it's called Satan. And the and the, the role of the church technically is not to obey the serpent. That's what we think. We think, oh, if we obey the serpent, then everything will be good. No, no, the point is to crush its head. The point is to exorcise it, get rid of that internal voice that is saying, you do X, Y, and Z. So grace is the technology of exorcism. Um, And that, I think, is the main role of the church. And and one definition of grace is Paul Tillich's, which is the acceptance that you're accepted. So not just that you're accepted, but that you accept in your being that you are accepted, which means that you let all of that, that go. And as I mentioned in the previous example, the weird paradox is when you let when you get rid of the serpent or the superego, what you're left with is the ability to really change. The point when I say you don't have to change, you're you 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 are accepted as you are is the moment that you get rid of the the the, the prohibition, the rebellion against the prohibition, you get rid of all of that and then you can change.
2: If if you guys could see Pete right now, uh, <clears throat> he's in the dark and it literally looks like he's holding a flashlight under his chin, <laughs> like telling a ghost story <laughs> while he's doing this. So it, it just amplifies it on our end even better. I wish you guys could see this. And but, my mouth is hanging wide. And Adam's mouth is hanging open. wide open.
3: <laughs> man, I didn't know how bad. This is it. why I wanted to go on to your podcast, by the way. It's, I wanted the encouragement. I missed the affirmation. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we are we are definitely good at that. Well, I, I definitely was missing my Pete Rollins fix, obviously, too, because yeah. uh, this, geez, man. So yeah. wh- one of the things that I that I've noticed throughout throughout your works,
2: and I think this is, is again what what you're saying tonight, um, which I think is great because we're finding it in a lot of other uh thinkers, and I know Adam's um got a question kind of related to this a little bit later, but um one of the things that we're noticing that a lot of just you know uh authors and speakers are really speaking to right now is kind of this anti um I don't even know how to put it, like anti doctrine kind of thing. Not that's that's a horrible way to put it. Maybe not anti-doctrine, but uh, being more present in the moment and actually allowing real change to take place uh, versus making sure we have all of our Bible verses memorized and all our doctrines straight. Yeah, because we've realized, I think, but you know, through hundreds of years that 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 doesn't necessarily facilitate the kind of change that
3: Jesus was talking about. Right, and so it can even it can even be a protection mechanism against it. I mean, that's yes. having all of the right thinking can often be a way of covering over our anxiety and not actually going into the work of grace that we've been talking about. Sorry, keep going. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah that's it. It. It's, it's, it's a
2: cheap, it's a cheap way out in, in many cases. So, um, I, I just think looking back at 2016 and, and Adam and I have been having a lot of discussions about how we want to kick off 2017 and, and doing a lot of, uh, kind of meditation on, on the year that was 2016 and uh, for a lot of us, aside from the Cubs winning the World Series, there were a lot of other horrible things that happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, and just kind of looking back at the church, it seems like there are a lot of folks out there who kind of live that model of got to bi- memorize my Bible verses. I got to have my doctrine straight. I have to make sure my, my church attendance is perfect, you know, and I have to make sure I donate enough money to this charity or that orphanage. And and what we're really missing is that that heart change. And so, how do we how do we put that into into practice going to twenty seventeen? How do we be better as a people?
3: Mm, It's good, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is actually one of the reasons why I believe in uh, the church. I mean, people wonder why I believe in a a place to go once a week on a Sunday. Um, You know, why would we bother doing that? Um, now, I'm not necessarily talking about the churches that actually exists, but that idea of going once a week to somewhere. And it's partly because we human beings have resistance built into us all the way through. Like we resist change. Uh, Freud actually noticed this. This is one of the first things he noticed is that when it comes to looking at difficult things in our lives, we're, we always resist. Um, er, er, constantly. We are trying to defend ourselves against our own knowledge, our own truth, our own anxieties, our own doubts. And that makes a lot of sense because otherwise sometimes you wouldn't be able to function. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we want to change, we have to look at the things that we'd rather not look at. Yeah. And, and, and reading the right books Uh, getting your doctrines correct or your philosophy right is not going to help on that. What you need to do is have a space in your life, uh, an oasis, sorry, a desert, a desert in the oasis of life, Um, a, a quiet, dry place away from the craziness of our everyday life where we can begin to look at ourselves and our society and our culture without all of the noise. And where we have rituals and we have um, various practices that disturb us, destabilize us, um, kind of like or like projectiles which blow up in our lives and expose things. And and I think that if we do not have a place in our life for that, we just probably won't do it. So the idea of once a week going to a community that does that is important. So that's what that's why in a sense therapy is important is that you have in your in your life a place you go once twice or three times where you try to be honest yeah. about where you are and what you're about and and again that's why for me the church is not a place where you learn doctrine where you learn kind of the right answers or anything like that it's this place where you go to be a ruptured, reconfigured. And this, by the way, is a very conservative idea. I mean, I, I've got this from like reading some conservative theologians. So, I mean, Karl Barth is really brilliant on this. I mean, I, I disagree with Karl Barth on lots of things, but but his early work, he says, God should, is always a no to our yes. Mm-hmm, yeah. Basically, God is always an explosion in our kingdoms. And, and so to actually place yourself in, in a church is in a sense to place yourself under judgment, under critique, to to put yourself in a place of perpetual destabilization. Um, and, uh, and so in a sense, and um, he sees that as a productive and a powerful experience and thing to do. So in the same way, that for me, that's what I call transformance art. Transformance art tries to offend everybody. And so it doesn't offend anybody, right? So it's an equal opportunities offense community. It it kind of challenges us all um, uh, in a way that hopefully makes us more sensitive to each other. Because, by the way, just very quickly, for me, there's ultimately basically two rules of the church. Um, and uh, you know, maybe we don't have time to get into this in depth.
1: No, do it. One,
3: oh yeah. But one, one of them is, um, to sensitize us to the other.
1: Mm. So
3: one of the rules is, is it actually sensitizes us because Emmanuel Levinas, he said, atheism, uh, is shutting ourselves off from the cry of the other. And theism is opening ourselves up to the cry of the other. Mm. Uh, now, he doesn't, he doesn't go on and say, oh, and it's also belief in God or anything like that. He literally says, um, if you, whatever you believe about God, if you shut yourself off from the cry of the other, and by that he means, he says, every face says, do not murder me, do not abuse me, do not objectify and kill me, do not treat me as something to manipulate. And he says, if you shut yourself off from that, it doesn't matter what you say you believe, you don't believe. But if you cultivate a sensitivity to that call and you respond to that call, um, you stand in line with the prophets, with Jesus, with 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 the with the very radical core, the message of of, of the Jewish tradition. So that's the first thing, and the second thing is um, I believe that the church is the place that draws out fear and trembling in that we have to take responsibility for how we act, not putting it onto somebody else, not thinking that there's some easy answer. We have to take responsibility for how we respond to that call. And if we do it wrong, we have to take responsibility for that. So yeah, that's why I believe in the church. And that's why I believe that that what, what we have to have to really enter into this grace to be part is to be part of a community that challenges us.
1: Mm. Man. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff to think about there. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Le- it leads too easily into a question that I've been wanting to ask you, and then I, I really want to ask you a couple things about some projects that are really interesting that you've got going on right now, so I'll make sure we have time for that. But uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that um, when we got to spend some time together this summer and we were up at Lakeside, and we were out on that porch, and it hit me then, and it's hitting me again now, and what you and John are talking about is we just had um, uh, Father Richard Rohr on. That was our last interview. Yep. And uh, contemplative tradition, and um, really just a breath of fresh air for a lot of us right now, turning to guys like him. And then uh, also, what, one of the things we've noticed is a lot of people um, picking up Richard Rohr and reading him for the first time and really appreciating it, this, this fresh insight uh, from ancient... Uh, mysticism and uh, the contemplative tradition are also picking up uh, your books and downloading your talks. And there's a link i I, I see, yeah. and I'd love to get your thoughts on it. and the thing the link that I see is when I listen to uh, guys like Richard Rohr, um, I see people kind of getting away from the sort of escape plan theology, the you know, get to yeah. heaven someday. Uh, sanctify yourself, pull yourself away from the world, out of the world through your doctrines and through your worship and through all of these things and what I see the contemplative tradition saying is no it 's it 's the eternal now uh to use a t- uh, a phrase the eternal now um it 's uh it 's here it 's contemplative is the uh the present. And then I pick that up in you uh, with guys like you and Barry Taylor and some of these radical guys that we've been listening to talking about the eminence rather than the transcendence or the transcendence within the eminence. So, mm-hmm. there, so there's this link there. And then with the contemplative tradition, silence and solitude and reflection being a bridge to what you're saying about those disturbances and that destabilization, there's such mm. a, there's a link here. I feel like it's a conspiracy. It's, it's, <laughs> it is awesome.
3: Yeah. I mean, you one of the... Okay, one of the links that I that I see as well, and I think there are connections, but one of the the core connections is interestingly, I think in the contemplative tradition, there is a form of subtraction, right? There's a, but there's a form of there's a form of negative subtraction we do, where I'm saying, you know, you think you want to get rid of the world, you want to get into the afterlife, right? Right. But there's a there's a positive form of subtraction, and I've explored this in some of my writings. Now, the positive form of subtraction is this. Um, Think of society as um, a machine that requires lithium batteries, that requires batteries to work. And so imagine like uh, the Kardashians, right? There's these TV programs on TV, um, these reality TV shows. Now, what's really interesting is they're getting worse and worse, right? Now, you've got two types of viewers who watch them. The first is the viewer who naively enjoys it. So they're watching it and they're going, oh, this is great, right? <laughs> and and then there's the viewer who watches it ironically, right? They laugh at it. They watch it. They go, oh my goodness, you know, look how stupid this is. And one of the enjoyments they get is the fact that they know there are naive viewers watching it for real. So part of the ironic viewer is to make fun of the naive viewer. Like technically, you could imagine a show where there is no naive viewer, where literally everybody's an ironic viewer, fantasizing that there exists some naive person who actually wants to be like the Kardashians. Right? There may not be this person, they may not exist, but still we all watch it believing that there is this person. This brings us into the philosopher of Baudrillard, we can't go in there, but, but um, it, what's interesting to me is, how do these two types of viewer come up in ratings? Do they come up any different? Well, no. They both represent somebody watching the show, and that's what gives the show its energy. That's why advertisers give money to it, and that's why it keeps going. So whether you're an ironic viewer or a naive viewer, you're fully integrated into the system, feeding it with your libidinal energy, right? Now, the contemplative uh, tradition is a tradition that is aimed at withdrawing libidinal energy from the ideological system it's in, right? Mm. So the idea of of contemplation is not to create protesters or ironic viewers who engage critically with the the world and therefore continue to feed it. In a sense, the contemplative tradition is designed to unplug you from the, uh, the constellation itself. I mean, obviously... You can think of the matrix as a good analogy of this. In the matrix, human beings are literally batteries plugged into a system. And the revolutionary act is to unplug yourself from the system. So I really like this about the contemplative practice is it is designed to withdraw your libidinal energy from a problematic ideological system and I think this is in a sense one of the most radical moves you can make and something that I try and talk about in my own work. So there you go. is all connected with this movie that I'm trying to get made at the moment. Yeah, uh, Which yes. I think is where you want to go. I'm not yes. sure. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Talk yes. about that.
2: It's, it's curious because it's called, it's a short film called Making Love, and Adam and I were wondering if it's like the pyro theology version of the Kama Sutra. Is this like a how-to guide? Like... <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I
3: would have very little to contribute to that, to be <laughs> No, that is not my forte. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it was. Actually, the reason why it's called making love is because the phrase making love initially had nothing to do with having sex. It used to mean the art of creating love. Now, one of the ways that they would do this is with a chaperone. Uh, You know, somebody who is there, we think, to stop two people from having sex or doing anything bad. But actually, originally, the chaperone uh, was thought of as having the opposite role. The chaperone was there to prevent you from doing anything so that you would begin to fantasize about what you could do if the chaperone wasn't there, right? So the very obstacle allowed you to fantasize about what you could do if the obstacle wasn't there. And this Mm. was one of the ways that you made love, that you created love, as in one of the ways that you found the flames of desire. So the movie, um, which I wrote years ago, um, and, um, then I've kind of rewritten is actually about this and it comes back to Adam and Eve. It's an erotic theological thriller and they're, wow. there, I'm sure. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's about this, this idea of, um, well, I'll tell you the idea it's, it's two people who have had a brief, but passionate affair that's cut short when the husband finds out and says to the guy, if you ever see my wife again, you'll die. Right? But as fate would have it. They get to spend one last hour together in this hotel and in this hour, the guy has to decide whether he actually stays the night and sleeps with her and then dies the next day or whether he leaves and never sees her again. Like mm, wow. this is actually a replay of the eatable complex. It's actually a replay of the Adam and Eve story. You know, the idea that you really want something you can't have and not being able to have it makes you want it even more. And so it plays out this very dilemma and it tries to explore kind of the resolution of this. So it's a deeply existential theological kind of film noir and I, I have the feature length version as well. I actually want to make the feature length version, but I want to start with uh, the short and I find someone, a director, a brilliant director who is up for it. So we're going to be launching a Kickstarter to try and raise just a small amount of money to make this
2: happen. Oh, whoa. Yeah, we would love to help promote we that. We got to so. help
1: with this.
3: Oh, so do, yes. do you know? Music in my ears. <laughs>
2: Do, do you know, uh, about when the Kickstarter would launch or do you have a tentative date for that?
3: Tentative date is in the next few weeks. Uh, oh, awesome. yeah, yeah, it's going to be close. It might, it might be as late as March, but it's really in the next few weeks. We've got the video done. We've got the, we've got the whole thing costed out. Uh, we actually have potentially a second short that we might make if we can raise enough money. Um, so all of that's going to, and we will be relying on people like yourselves to kind of help get the word out. I'm excited because I want, you know, anybody who's interested in theology, interested in the ideas that we've been exploring in this podcast, um, this is a way to get behind a project where we put it into cinematic form. You know, this is not, God, this is not God's not dead, right? This isn't blue like jazz. Um, this is, a, you know, this is a proper theological film, but actually it's a, it's a proper dark a thriller, um, uh, thoughtful, it's, uh, it's deep. Um, and I, I think it's a really good way of exploring some of these ideas that aren't like in kind of philosophy books. The, the question that
1: everybody's going to be asking right now is, are, are you going to get either Kirk Cameron or Nicholas Cage.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: Nick Cage. Nick Cage. <laughs> Nick Cage. That would be yeah. That would yeah. Yes, please. If, if he says yes, you know what? I'm sorry. Definitely. I'm sorry. I
1: had to. I had to.
3: I couldn't help it. Well, what's the oh, the news boys? Who's the who's the uh, what is what's the yeah. balance that those gods not dead? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I yeah. New I New could New maybe Wars. get yep. the entity the
1: soundtrack. Yeah. 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 He would sell like a billion tickets. Yes. Yeah.
3: this thing no (laughs) you wouldn't
1: (laughs) (laughs) no let's just let's just kickstart it and do it right yeah about that
3: well yeah and and anybody who helps out there's lots of like uh, obviously rewards and the first one is you know you give it it's like 15 bucks and you get a link to the film as soon as it comes out months before anybody else uh and then of course you can you know can pay to be a producer to come on set to to stay where the in the hotel where it's set um, I'm also going to be giving a, a lecture, an online private lecture about the, th- the themes of the film. So, you know, if you contribute, you can get access to that. So there's lots of little kind of like rewards, but hopefully the main reward is the warm feeling you get from being kind of part of this, because um, I'm very excited to say I wrote this years ago and then I put it, put it away and it's just recently um, I'm realizing we can actually make this happen.
1: Do you know what I love about this, Pete, is this just my little two cents on it. It's almost like um, the seeds of what you did at Icon and this whole thing of like transformative art that we're talking about on the podcast is you're taking it and you're putting it out in, in a bigger way. You're almost taking it, you're almost taking it to the next level.
3: Yes. I mean, this, this is by the way, one of the inspirations that I got from CS Lewis. I mean, you know, I'll be honest, of course, CS Lewis, I, I, I wrestle with a lot. I I would disagree with stuff. But C.S. Lewis grew up five minutes from walk from my house. I went to the same church his family went to. My friend lived right next door to Little Lee, which was where he was born and raised, where where the wardrobe is, you know, that that inspired Narnia. And, you know, one of the things about C.S. Lewis is the way that he felt very natural moving from nonfiction to fiction to, uh, you know, to be able to um, and enter enter into any number of debates about anything, and I, I think early on it was that spirit that I admired about him. And so, for example, I've got also a comic book coming out this year of fairy tales that I've written on the th- and it's called Enduring Love because love is so difficult to endure. And it's about these little furry animals. <laughs> yeah, these little furry animals in a place called the Lonely Forest who are all trying to endure love. And, um, and again, for me, it's like, yes, of course I'm going to express this in fairy tales and in parables and in a movie, as well as nonfiction, as well as philosophy talks, as well as pints and parables nights. You know, it all makes sense to me. Yeah, man, that's really good stuff, man. Yeah. And, if, so, and if you I, fall on your face, like I would encourage everybody <laughs> who enjoys, do, who, you know, wants to get out there and write and think and speak, just do it. And it doesn't matter if you fall on your face or you embarrass yourself on something. I'm sure it'll it's going to happen. I mean, it's happened before and it will happen again. But, but I just love being able to go into new areas and try new things. And the great thing is I find great people to work with on this movie. Dude, we can't wait. I mean, this is
1: going to be. For for fans of your work and for fans of cinema and art uh, that 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 value it for forcing us into these what you call disturbances where we actually have to kind of reminds me of like Black Mirror. Have you seen Black Mirror? Oh yeah, by the way? yeah, yeah. I've I've so watched good.
3: quite a few. i haven't seen, I've seen like you know six or seven of them. Um, they they're oh man, brilliant. I love them. It's like the Twilight Zone for the 21st century.
1: Oh my yes, gosh, my yes. wife is like, why do you like this? I'm like, because I don't know what I think after I watch one of these. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, I just saw the one where you everyone um, is rated. You walk around and you yes, you a couple stars. Oh, so good, so good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
3: <laughs> it.
2: It's funny how they how they tap into current times. Uh, oh, just spot on, spot on. Yeah, They're like. I, That's one of those things that you could completely entirely envision happening in the very near future, like Like, Yelp for human beings. Yes, exactly. That's
3: that's one of the powers of sci-fi. I mean, great sci-fi can kind of write about the future that is actually helps expose the present. And again, that was Mm. C.S. Lewis again. He wrote sci-fi and it was partly for those reasons, you know. Yeah.
1: So good. It's still my some of my favorite stuff he's done between the space trilogy and the great divorce, which I think the great divorce is basically sci-fi so in a good. lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Oh, so good, man.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, the the, the big thing we want to we definitely want to mention uh, before we uh, before we go our separate ways tonight is uh, one of the things that I think has really caught on over the last uh, couple years that you've done it. Um, a lot of people really got into this, especially um, after we talked uh, to you last year. Um, was your atheism for Lent series? Um, assuming you're going to be doing that
3: again this year, and uh, any any changes that you've made to the the curriculum? Yeah, and I, you know I've got to thank you guys. After I did your podcast, the whole thing leaped. I mean, lots of people signed oh, up on, as a man. result of listening to you guys and me talking. So <laughs> thank you, thank you for that. Um, I mean, I was so excited because I've been doing atheism for Lent for years, and mostly it's very very small. And you know, many of your listeners will know the idea. Where For 40 days, we go, what will we give up? And that chocolate, marzipan, exercise? No, we're going to give up God, right? Um, and actually what we do is we read all the great critics of religion and Christianity and God, not to judge them, but to let them judge us as a way mm. of approaching the, the cry of Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And actually the idea is that this, this journey into the, what's, what the mystics call the cloud of unknowing uh, the dark night of the soul it is actually a place of great nourishment and great maturity. So we, t- I take people in that journey. Now this year is a little. Every year has a different. Angle and this year's angle is I want to look at the love affair between theism and atheism because people think these are two opposites and they don't like each other, but the secret is they actually love each other. That if you look at the history (laughs) of these, oh, it's the most passionate love affair you will ever see. They fight, (laughs) they argue, they intertwine. It's like, oh, it's like a movie, it's incredible. Um, oh. it, you know, Bonnie and Clyde have nothing on this love affair between people's and atheism. And, and I want to draw that out. I want to show how they dance together, how some of the greatest mystics embraced atheism, how some of the great existential theologians embraced atheism, how some of the great atheists have the greatest critiques of Christianity that are matched only by the prophets, right? How, how people like Kierkegaard, uh, Simone Weil and others Um, dance between saying that God is something we can talk about and saying then, but actually every time we speak of God, we say less than God. So we have to be atheistic about our theism. We have to, we have to disbelieve all of our beliefs. And so this really beautiful intertwining um, is so valuable and disconcerting. And I think um, a, a maturing process and for people who sign up to my course, they will get a reflection of for every day of Lent. And once a week, they'll get access to a lecture that I give on the material. So there'll be like eight hours of, of talks for them to listen to in their commute, uh, go, listen to while they're at the gym or use as a sleeping tablet. Um, if <laughs>
1: Oh man, Pete! What you've been doing this uh, atheism for Lent? How long now is like a is like a thing?
3: Yeah, on and off. I've actually been doing it for probably close to twenty years. Now that's on. Oh my god! Yeah, um, it was inspired by a book by Merrill Westphal called "Suspicion yeah. Of Faith." You know? Yeah. Um, atheism for Lent was the subtitle of that book, and you know, as I've developed it, I've really taken it. I, I were very exciting for me. You know, at first we just read about some crit- criticisms of religion and read about some of the thinkers who, who have critiques. And now we engage directly with them. At first, it was mm. only readings. Now I've got movies, music, art, got comic books, as well as great philosophy and great theology. So it's a real mix of not just head stuff, but also heart stuff. Um, and, and I will be looking at you know where religious critique comes from. You know, the the sense Mm. of injustice in the world, sometimes the sense of anxiety, meaninglessness. We'll also look at the critiques from people outside the church, people like Marx, Nietzsche and Freud, who have have argued that a lot of religion hides desire for power, um, hatred for others, um, desire for, um, you know, protecting ourselves from anxiety. Um, And also we're going to look at some of the critiques of religion from within the church, People like Kierkegaard, people like Meister Eckhart, Simone Weil, who critique Christianity and religion as viciously as people outside the church, but interestingly in the name of the church. So all Mm. of that we will look at. Um, and, And, you know, I think at the end of this, if people take it seriously and do most of the readings, most of the reflections, I do believe that they will come out of atheism for Lent being challenged um, and and being uh, shocked and also being renewed. Um, oh, and one final thing, and this by the way, we had like a thousand people doing it. Up to, I think it was a thousand people last year, and we had churches doing it. In today's world, people say, "Oh, religious people and people in the church, they aren't open to listening to other people. They're not open to listening to other views." And the wonderful right. thing is, actually, I find that there are so many people who are actually dying to read and reflect on on people who are critical of their position um it's Absolutely. so exciting to see it but this year is actually going to be useful for atheists and theists and agnostics because every every one of those three will hopefully be challenged that oh theism and atheism are, are closer than we might imagine so the atheists who do it will find some theologians that they might go oh i like that that was fun And the the theists will find some atheist thinkers and they'll go, whoa, that was great. I've got to read some more of that stuff. Um, And so I think this year will be of real interest to people wherever they fall in that spectrum, as well as people who maybe, you know, don't ask that question.
1: That's beautiful, man. I was thinking of an, uh, I hadn't, a thought, Uh, I don't even know if it's a good one or not. It's just something that I've been kicking around. I was reading uh, some of Karen Armstrong's works this year. She's great. Oh man, she's great. And her book, um, one of her more recent books, "The Case for God," just kind of gives this huge overview of um, religion from the earliest time, like you know, ten thousand BCE, all the way up until the present. You know, drawing on uh, Jack Caputo and some of the things that's that are going on with um, even I think radical theology. And the point she kind of makes in a roundabout way, which I thought was so interesting, and I'd love to get your thoughts on, is she kind of puts atheists Um, In this timeline, almost like they rose up, almost like prophets, when religion, specifically in the West, had just really imbibed this uh, enlightenment, over-rationalistic, overly certain view of uh, spirituality and the divine. And you see this resurgence of atheisms, almost rising up like prophets, is kind of what she said, kind Mm -hmm. of calling us back to the unknowing
3: that we lost. Absolutely. No, I think that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I still to this day, some of the thinkers who have influenced me most are the masters of suspicion. And the masters of suspicion is the name that is given basically to Marx, Nietzsche, or Freud, uh, maybe Feuerbach and, and Darwin to some extent as well. But in the 19th century, these thinkers came up um, and they attacked uh, things that needed to be attacked. They attacked how religion was being used to oppress the poor. They attacked how religion was being used to justify systems of destruction, um, systems that silenced people. And in fact, uh, Nietzsche himself said, in a hundred years, they will, they will call me a saint. Right? And Nietzsche, by the way, was such a religious individual when in his youth. He would write all these poems to God. And he was, he was someone who felt this divine force more than anything you could imagine. So a friend of mine actually wrote a book called Pious Nietzsche and uh, he's, a, <laughs> he's a Christian theologian and it's wonderful reading of Nietzsche as a saint. Um, and even like a, a conservative philosopher like Merrill Westphal, he reads Freud, and Marx and Nietzsche in the way that you're describing Karen Armstrong reading them. Um, that's what I want to draw out in in this is that weirdly paradoxically, the supposed enemies of faith might be the most faithful um, uh, uh, advocates and voices for faith
1: wow mm. that's so good what what have you heard people that take this course kind of say I know you interact with your uh, participants quite a bit what are some uh, some of the feedback you get from this thing
3: yeah I mean it's been really. Positive, actually, it's been. Uh, this is why I keep doing it. Um, you know, for some people, weirdly, um, it's a place that 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 helps them recover their faith. I've had people. I, there was a guy who was a missionary in uh, Kazakhstan and Tajikistan, and he was he came back to Belfast. He was going to pack all of this faith stuff in. He did atheism for Lent, and he came out of it saying, "I'm able to." actually express my faith in a healthier way now. Now, the reason wow. is because he had all those questions within him, but they were repressed. That's he, right. Atheism for that allowed him to bring them all out, celebrated all of that questioning. And in that, he was able to let it all go. Whereas before, it was all so in there that he was going to explode, like he was going to blow up. So a lot of people, it's a way of actually allowing them to express questions they've had all their life. For some people, it's a way of um, kind of getting beyond some forms of, uh, you know, fundamentalism that has been in them. Um, it's a way of letting that go. Uh, because interestingly, fundamentalism is not certainty. Fundamentalism is profound doubt, uh, but it's profound doubt that's repressed. So, you know, think think about it like this. If you grew up in a in some place where you just think you're right, because everybody thinks the same thing, right? That's not fundamentalism yet, right? That's just what's called um, uh, false consciousness, right? You're just fine. But as soon as you meet someone who disagrees with you, right. Or you start to ask questions, right. Or you read a book that challenges you at that point, you've got two choices. Basically, you know, you can either go, Oh, wow, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Maybe I should rethink my position, right? Or you go, oh my goodness, I'm not looking at that. I'm, I'm going to throw that book away. I'm going to get rid of that friend. And then you push it down. That's where I think fundamentalism, the way we describe it today, that's where it starts. So, whenever you see somebody reading every book by Josh McDowell and they know evidence that the man's a verdict inside out, that's often not evidence that they're certain. That's evidence that they're full of doubt, but they're repressing it. So, they're trying to read books that help them repress the doubt even more. So, atheism for Lent is taking the lid off that pot and allowing people to actually face the doubts that they already have, face the questions they already have, and see where that goes. And I will not promise anyone where that will go. I cannot tell you where that will go. All I can say is I have taken that journey as well. I will take that journey with you. And I think that if you take it seriously, I think, but I can't promise, I think that you'll end up in a better place. And that's, that's, that's all I can promise. right? But I think that that is enough, hopefully, for people to go, yeah, I'll take that journey. I'm going to see where it goes. You can go ahead and drop your mic now.
1: <laughs> That's right. Watch the light—the the light slowly drop out of you.
3: <laughs> I am in pitch um, darkness. I don't know why it's not. That you are. <laughs> yeah.
2: You are. There's that little light on the on the side of your mic. That's the only thing we can see. Is like a little orb floating.
1: And we're just
3: following it
2: with our
1: eyes, like we're like little mesmerized yeah.
2: by, by what you're saying. <laughs> it's,
1: like a, it's like a rave or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Without the bad music, really.
2: Yeah. Sorry, rave fan music people. Yeah. Um, so for those who, who are already all about what you just said, and they want to get involved in atheism for Lent, uh, where, where do they go to, to join up with this? Yeah.
3: All they have to do is go up, go to my website or my Facebook page or my Twitter. You'll, the, the, information's all there. Um, and, uh, you can, you'll be brought to a page. It's like, it's only 30 bucks for the whole thing. Um, but also if, if someone's broke, of course, money will not be an issue. Um, if people can't afford it just email me. Um, if you, but on the reverse side of it, if you're a millionaire and you believe in this, then feel free to give more. And I'm very happy with that as well. But I never want money to be an issue. Uh, it's very important for me that, that there's never any secret knowledge that people have to pay for right? It's not like, Oh yeah, I do the free stuff with the the deconstructionists and on Facebook live. But you know, if you want to know the real stuff, you got to pay money. If you pay the money, then you'll know the secret, you know, this Gnosticism like, no, you know, (laughs) nothing I do will, will be like, you'll have to, you have to pay for to get the secret knowledge. Of course, there's things to pay for. Like if you want to come and see a live event, you want to come to my festival in April, you want to do that. But as of course, of course, anything that I'm doing, um, If money's a problem, you just let me know, but you know, there you go. It's hopefully it's not expensive and, um, and hopefully it's, it's worth every penny. (laughs) Come on,
1: pyro theology millionaires show up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, we will, we will definitely have all those links in our show notes and, uh, on our, on our social media. Um, and we can't, we can't wait to get behind this Kickstarter. I think this is going to be just a really cool, unique, uh, film that you're putting together. So we're really happy to to throw our weight behind it for whatever that's worth. Whatever <laughs> we yeah. can do, man. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Listen, man, I would. I'm so appreciate your support. Maybe I can get you out to the film set whenever we're we're shooting it. You know, get you hey. to see it. Come because it'll, it'll hopefully be shot in Belfast, so maybe fly you out or whatever. So oh well, you know. You know. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Why don't we just plan that C.S. Lewis retreat at the same time? Yeah. Oh, perfect. yeah.
3: done well listen guys I really appreciate I appreciate all your support I appreciate the support of your listeners Um, I always love being on the show Um, so thank you so much for this the door is Uh, always
1: open my friend we love you you, uh, buddy you 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 kickstarted our journeys in a lot of ways so we love getting to talk to you about this stuff yep
3: (laughs) brilliant thank you
1: cool well uh, for now uh, Pete Rollins doctor Dr. Pete Rollins (laughs) The real yeah. doctor yeah you just uh you just keep working hard man and uh we're gonna just keep following you into these projects so thanks for being with us thanks all right we'll take care brilliant See thanks a lot guys oh. do you need some do you need some ibuprofen oh my goodness i know i, mean- I do
2: we were just talking about this. He's like one of those few guys that we've had on the show where literally you could just, here's a topic. I mean, we could have just done all lightning round and just let him go. None of that was prepared. No. What the f- These are the fewest questions we have ever brought into an
1: interview. You were a little panicked when you got here. I was. Because I was too. I, yeah. I just kind of trusted him because he just wanted to do this. And I just, I had faith. I had so much faith. <laughs> and oh my gosh, we didn't need to prepare anything. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I was like, I wonder what he would say if I asked this. Adam knows
2: how to make me panic because I'm like Mr. Planner. I've got <laughs> calendars six months ahead with like color coded and like I love to have like all my stuff like typed out. Whatever. We're the odd
1: couple, man. <laughs> That's true. It's why we – hey, I'm rubbing off on you. You're rubbing off on me. Uh, no, I know. It's a beautiful thing. Well, it did help that the first thing you did was hand me a glass of scotch when I came over. <laughs> <laughs> here so, it looks like you need this yeah it's we been do, a long day we don't have a plan so here's some whiskey <laughs> <laughs> and a pen <laughs> there you go oh man that's fantastic
2: oh that was so fun
1: yeah dude that was that was excellent um just this whole new year's thing is something that i think about every single year and the big thing that stuck out for me was we all rush to fix ourselves mm. All the time, not just New Year's. I think New Year's is just this distillate, this distillation of this impulse we all have to fix ourselves, be perfect, blah, 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 blah. And the, the takeaway for me, you know, the grace thing was amazing and I could stew on that forever, but just like, are you even listening to why you do these things? Right. Just simply ask yourself a question if it's, I do this too much or I wanna quit this or I wanna start that. Like, just get to the why underneath that and just sit with that why for a little while give yourself some room to breathe with that why yeah yeah i just
2: one of the things that i'm realizing that i love the most about pete is that and and it's the thing that i love the most about like all of these guys who kind of fly under the banner of of pyro theology like your barry taylor's you know even even richard roars outside of that that camp um you know uh shoot Rob Bell, Rob Bell wrote, you know, wrote a whole book about it this year is, is this this idea of, of kind of taking the time to sit in the here and now, mm. just marinate in the here and now, not worry about what happened in the past, not worry about the future, but, but worry about the here and now and, and enjoy it for what it is. And, and, um, and the way that Pete ties it together with, with the message of Jesus and, and, um, bringing the kingdom here, you know, and, and, uh, right. And and taking care of the poor and the other. And, you know, he brings up the other repeatedly. All and, the time. And it, it's just funny because it, you, I, I look around us, you know, uh, as a church, and I use church as a generic term, but, you know, we, we do a great job of showing up on Sunday, and we do a great job of making sure that, you know, we put our donation in to help the orphanage and wherever, you know. Yes. But how many of us actually know,
1: you know, the, the names of even one homeless person in your neighborhood. Or how about your neighbors? Yeah. Do you even know your neighbors' names? I mean, I'm guilty in that regard sometimes. Me too. Yeah. It's like, I know I don't do it. So I know
2: if I, you know, I don't do it. I know, you know, my my friends don't do it.
1: And it's just this kind of, you know, lazy, lazy faith, you know? Well, I think that it's a selfish faith. For Not, sure. Yeah. Lazy and selfish because, mm-hmm. you know, lazy is kind of selfishness. and. Sure. I think a lot of the things that we do that we classify as spirituality or Christianity is really just uh, pleasuring ourselves, just pleasing ourselves. I don't want to be crass, but like, I mean, that's essentially what it is. It's like, I feel better now. I did this and now I feel good. And it's just like, got the monkey off my back. Mm -hmm. I'm good to go. Yay. I managed God or I managed holiness or I managed sin or I managed my guilt. Mm -hmm. And really all it is is just ego management. The whole thing is just ego management. Yeah. And pyro theology just cuts right to the quick of that. And everybody's gripe is, oh, you know, they just they've got no doctrinal beliefs and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, I, I'm sorry, that's just not a valid critique, in my opinion, because what they're trying to do is ask you, the person saying they don't have any doctrinal critiques, to quit playing a shell game with your doctrinal critiques, get off the merry-go-round and actually start asking yourself if it's changing anything about the world or your life your heart your heart uh are you actually taking grace seriously quit quit talking about what it means in propositional phrases and actually actually ask yourself if it's doing any transformative disturbing work in your life and i can't fault like that's come on man like that's what this is all supposed to be about so it's almost like calling bs on the whole thing yeah and i think that's beautiful i mean that's what the minor prophets did sure you know, and, and ultimately, if
2: God comes down, he's going to be like, thanks a lot for the donation so we could pave the parking lot for the church, but I don't really care about that. Right. Exactly. Like, you've walked past this homeless person 55 times and haven't even said a word to them. Yeah. You know, like, take care of my sick, my poor, you know, let's start there. Yeah, exactly. So for 2017, I think uh, that's personally my goal. And um, good I, goal, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna give up being a selfish prick for, for 2017 for Lent. How
1: about that? I don't think I could like you anymore. Oh, I love you, Adam. Oh <laughs> missed man, missed you, buddy. <laughs> missed you too, man. So 2017, kicking it off with some fresh squeezed pyro theology, atheism for Lent, guys. Uh, let's get behind Pete on this. Yeah. Let's, uh, listeners, deconstructionists out there, um, art changes the world. Art usually lives on much longer than propositional ideas. It gets into the fabric. It gets into the consciousness of culture. It haunts us. It changes us. Uh, Pete's really involved in making some great art. Let's get behind him on this. And um, hey, if you have a night where you like to get drinks with your buddies or go out for drinks or coffee with your friends, um, why not make atheism for Lent something that you center that around? And instead of talking about NFL or the Kardashians, not that anybody that's listening to this podcast probably does that. Talk about pulling your beliefs apart and finding uh, the naked self that sits behind those beliefs and encountering uh, all your insecurities and vulnerabilities uh, in a group of people that supports you. I mean, I can think of no healthier thing to do with our time than to engage in some of these things. And Pete creates all these warm, welcome spaces with no judgment um, that I think are are brilliant. So let's get behind him. Uh, go to peterrollins.net or drpeterrollins.com or whatever the heck it is (laughs) check our show notes yeah look at our show
2: notes (laughs) and uh and also i have no idea who the band's going to be because to be quite honest i haven't looked at that yet this is kind of impromptu so this is the curveball that i threw you today so check our show notes (laughs) and also uh obviously um don't be sad because there's not going to be another episode next week um this is kind of just a uh to, to you know
1: easing you back in thirst yeah Yeah. we're just easing you back in
2: we will we will let you know officially when our our 2017 official kickoff will be um officially as soon as we know we will officially (laughs) let you know officially
1: when it'll officially be officially
2: (laughs) yes so check our social media
1: (laughs) we love you guys it's so good to be with you again in 2017 um yeah, that's it. It's all, yeah, all I got. It's all I got. Okay. All right. All right. Grace and peace, everybody. Keep de- deconstructing. We are your hosts. I am Adam Narlock, and I'm John Williamson. <laughs>